Welcome everyone to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host Donovan Beery. I have with me Christina Fell Zano. Is that right? It is. All right, and, and you're from Conran Design Group, C-O-N-R-A-N Design Group. Where, where are you guys located at? Uh, so we are located, or our team is located uh, in New York, in uh, Midtown. Uh, we also have offices in the UK, in London, uh, and in Mumbai. Oh, so, and, 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 I, and are you guys actually in the office again, or? Most of us are working still remotely. I... I go in generally uh, one to two times a week uh, just to, to break it up uh, and, and see what's going on. It's nice to see who's in the office uh, in terms of full uh, return to office. We're probably looking at September. Uh, oh, wow. To, okay. To well, over here, I mean, there's, there's two of us in the office and um, we started full return last week. I mean, full return a couple of days a week, but, but still we, we have, we have, we are meeting in the office for the first time in over a year, so it's different, but how's that's all going? good. Yeah, how does it feel? Uh, remarkably, it's weird. It's like, oh, no, this is just normal again. So it's been strange in that way. Right. I thought it would, I thought there, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I thought there was going to be this long, like, very awkward time, and you're like, I don't know about this, but then it's like when it came about, it was like, oh, no, I guess it's, I guess this is just, but there's only two of us, so it's not like, I assume if it was an office of like 50 people and we're jammed next to each other, it might be a little more uncomfortable. I do think it's interesting though, how people fall into old patterns pretty quick. I think that seeing that just for in terms of community, you know, around, I live in uh, Park Slope in Brooklyn and, it, you know, almost overnight because here it was, you know, if you're vaccinated, you can stop wearing your mask and you, it, it felt like almost overnight, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people, switched and so it, it's interesting going back into the office it was awkward at first just because not everybody's in but it was interesting to see also just everybody starts to fall back into the cadence once once you start when you start getting in and seeing people and and you know going about your routine so we'll see how it goes when everybody starts to return yeah and you guys and i'm assuming there's more than two of you in the uh in the conran office there are, there are, and we're also part of the larger uh, Havas network. So also even, even when we return to work, uh, there are more of us, but also we've got uh, all of the uh, other agencies returning as well. So. And how big is this Havas network? <laughs> that is an excellent question. It's thousands of people. There are sort of two micro networks within the network. One is Havas Health and You, uh, and one is, well, actually Havas Creative and the Havas Media. Uh, so actually Conran sits across all of, all three of those. So we're, we're the uh, only branding and design agency within the broader Havas network. And then we're across, it's a, it's a global country company, or at least international. So with hubs really across the U.S., uh, Canada, uh, and then in Europe, uh, as well as in, in uh, parts of Asia, specifically uh, China. But it's originally a French-founded French company, uh, Havas, and then Conran is UK-founded. Uh, okay, and then somehow New York was just involved because they had to get in there. I think that's always right. <laughs> New York and the U.S. always have to get involved. <laughs> right. <laughs> And it says that, and you're the managing director, so, but I assume that's just of, it's not of everything, it's just the Conran part of it. 
It is, and it's it's Conran in the U.S. So we have a CEO based in the U.K. across all of Conran, the three offices, and then there are managing directors in each of the offices. So what was it that originally got you into into the the world of design and branding? So I I started in digital. Uh, well, before that, I started publishing, but that's way back. Um, okay. So I started in digital. I started at. Uh, well, I mean, we all started with like crayon, but we don't have to go that far back. Yeah, right. I started. <laughs> Maybe chalk. I, I mean, I think we even might have started with chalk, you know. <laughs> I love my, one of my favorite things is the crayon box. So I got the 64 color crayon box that I still, oh. I still have one just because it's, I love the smell of them. I love the. <laughs> every, every year, you know, it gets to back to school and you walk through the aisle and you're like, I think I need a box of crayons. But then you're like, I really don't. But I kind of, I kind of need one. But, but yeah, I'm like, no, not really. You know, you get one for, I get, now I get one for the daughter, but you're like, and I kind of need one too, but I, I never get one. It's Proustian, right? It brings you back to, to starting school, right? And 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 coloring. I like, you know, I still love to do that. So yeah. we, won't, <laughs> we won't go that far back. Okay. <laughs> um so I started in I started in digital at gray advertising as part of uh, the team that launched one of their first. Uh, it, we called it interactive at the time, one of their first interactive groups. And it was it was built on the back of basically uh, Procter & Gamble, which was a big client for the network uh, at Gray. Um, and it was one of the first notions of um, sort of promoting the corporate company. P&G always stayed in the background before that. Sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, it was all about the products often because they even, you know, they have, pro now, now it's no big deal, but they had products that competed with each other. And so uh, it was the first time, and again, as, as, as digital became one of the first corporate websites that had been done. And so that's, that's sort of how I got into marketing and communication and really, really loved it. I, bounced around a couple of places, uh, went to uh, one or two sort of small digital shops, but then uh, went to Siegel and Gale because they were looking to integrate digital into their offer. And I don't know if you're familiar with Siegel and Gale, but it's one of the first sort of agencies focused on the notion of sort of brand strategy. The The founder was a uh, actually a lawyer and he was part of the, the sort of plain language movement in law uh, and then applied that to um, into really corporate comms in some ways and so the notion that why when you get a telephone bill from from a company at the time and they're still confusing but at the time they were so confusing right that you really had no idea what you're paying for or why um, and so sort of information design and communication uh, and then 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 leading into design so by the time I got there there were really uh, you know an integrated brand strategy and design uh, company but they were looking to to bring digital into that so went to help them start that up but that's where I got my first real taste of being part of a, a sort of proper branding and design agency an agency where really leading with the expression um, of, of a brand we used to talk about brands as people um, and so how does a brand look behave speak and so I sort of got the bug uh Bucket Siegel and Gale. So that was that was how I I went from digital and advertising uh, into uh, branding and, and and marketing. And I think some people do still consider brands as people, or they talk about it that way. I don't. I don't. I mean, I still hear that quite a bit. 
Yeah, no, that's a, that's an excellent point. I think that, that 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 is something that has carried forward. I think the interesting thing when, you know, not to date myself, but when, when we started having some of those conversations, we would talk about that a brand could talk in different ways in different channels. It was a lot of very, multi, it wasn't multi-channel yet. Um, so we would talk about, you know how you're always the same person, but you talk to your grandma with one voice and you go to work in maybe a different outfit and you go to write, you could you could be sort of different people in a one person, um, but then digital happened. And that became you know a lot of conversation around sort of transparency and the notion, yeah, you can talk one way here and dress a different way there, but the reality is that ultimately, because everything is converging in in the digital space in some way or form, that ultimately, if that if those things don't marry up, and there's a disconnect for your your customers or your clients or your users, that's something that that you need to think about. And I think that that's where um, some of sort of the principles of of branding started to be established in terms of things like brand guidelines and right, like every and really that notion. For a long time, it's sort of this monolith and 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 brand stewardship really being about you need to be consistent in all your channels. And I think what's interesting about what's happening now is that rather than sort of consistency and sort of monolithic approach, uh, it, it we're starting to see that break up a little bit and 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 more in branding now we talk about sort of flexibility uh, and interaction right brands not only speaking out <laughs> and sort of putting there but but really how they engage with their audiences and not just uh, in communication but in really how their audiences often um, take a brand uh, and influence it right it's 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 not what you say about yourself it's what other people say about you so I think that's that's an interesting sort of evolution that's been happening. Uh, yeah, it's really been, because I guess when the digital came about, you know, you obviously are going to think about social media. And I think people do speak slightly different on different social media channels. It, it's interesting that you say, you know, people do cross check them, because I always think when you when you when you go to Twitter, when you go to Facebook, when you go to Instagram, whatever, whatever you may be at, there is a different type of vernacular. And so people just naturally speak different, but it should I guess you're right, you know, it should probably somewhat match up, but it also means that social media is like the first time where that I can remember where people actually talk to the brand. The only, the only time before that is you might write them a letter, yeah. but it's not like, it's not like other people saw the reply. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Because <laughs> where would you share it? Even if, and, and who would care? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely changed, not just the way brands represent themselves, but, but also in the way that they do communicate and respond to, right, their audiences, because now response is expected, right? You would, you would call or send a letter and it would be, you know, <laughs> um, but now people are, are, and rightly so, you know, indignant. If you're looking to engage with the brand and it's not going to engage back, then that's, that's a real customer experience issue. And so I think that it's just transformed. It's made them maybe brands even more like people than ever before, not less, right? Right. It's like <laughs> right. And I, but I also think that it's in a way it's kind of like you realize that the brand's not really responding to you. It is some person, right? Like before, you never really. It was just some like corporate lawyer you didn't know, and now yeah. you're like, no, there's actually somebody there. Yeah, exactly. That is true. It's a good way of thinking about it. it sort of breaks it up. It shows the people behind the, the the brand. Now you were saying that dating yourself, and I think you I think you did that when you mentioned a phone bill being hard to read because. <laughs> Cause I'm actually just now, and I'll probably date myself too. You know, now when I go on, it's, it's all online and, and yeah, there's like eight tax lines, you know, it's like, this is your service. 
be this is this and then there's like eight things that you don't quite understand but i forgot you used to get when you get the phone bill in the mail you would actually have to pay for individual calls like like the for, for those for those who you know never had a like an actual landline you paid by the call sometimes unless it was in the city and then you would look and you're like who did i talk to for 18 minutes and why am i paying 30 cents for this or whatever it was right it's too expensive to make a call you worried about it <laughs> yeah you and my uh you were in my circle there was also you could call people who were in your circle but <laughs> you could yeah. talk to the ones that weren't that was with your cell phone but the early cell phones so. yeah and i was like and, and you know when you were and when i was a kid then it'd be like you know sometimes the your you know your mom would be like all right i got this broken down like certain you know who who called these numbers or something who'd you call <laughs> why did yeah. you call the person 15 times <laughs> But yeah, phone bill could be like 10 pages long. And I mean, it may only be 50 bucks, but it'd be like 10 pages of it. That's true. I forgot there was no that. way to read this thing. So hopefully, hopefully. So I assume that was what you had to work on was actually making that make more sense. Or or was it or is the goal really in design to try to hide it so people didn't, you know, try to get out of paying fees? Uh, the goal was not to hide it. The goal was, yeah, to make it even even that notion that the 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 costs are itemized out now it wasn't it was just like a number and you didn't you had no idea actually how it <laughs> yeah you got to it <laughs> man and then and it was so weird too because everyone had a different rate because i remember you could call in and, and you could negotiate a cheaper rate per minute so it wasn't like today where the you can just go online and figure out how much it was going to cost monthly to get your cell phone back then you had to negotiate and then and then renegotiate and then it was just a giant pain and then threatened to leave right the the, the secret about that was always that they treated acquiring customers better than actual customers which is sometimes a little bit true today but you would have to <laughs> the people coming in new were getting better rates than people who had already been loyal Right. And then you had to have a backup plan because if, if they if they called your bluff, then you'd be like, oh, now I actually have to leave. Yes, exactly. Find a different service. And so, I want to take my number with me, and that's extra. <laughs> I don't. Oh yeah, I don't even know if you could. Like that that that's fairly new, and by fairly new, I mean like twenty years, isn't it? <laughs> All right, let's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, either way, it's good. It's I I do. I don't know when they passed that law that you could keep your number and transfer it, but that was amazing because then you're always like, because that was the big thing. You could never really want them to call your bluff because you're like, I got to get a whole new phone number. Well, and if you lost your phone, you'd have to get a whole new group of friends. <laughs> yeah, something like that. All right, we're going to be right back with, with Christina. So Christina, I know that... Uh, Conran Design Group handles a lot of pharmaceutical branding and so forth. And, and that's been one of those things where I guess it's only been, what, 25 years that that whole industry has changed. And then I know some of it's, you know, there's there's some negative to that, obviously, as well, that, that obviously there's also this weird thing where we, I think I, think I read something that you wrote about how when, when Pfizer started pushing uh, Viagra, it's the first time that they actually started talking about, not necessarily, um, they talked about, they kind of humanized the conditions that would cause it and, and got people to think about, you know, destigmatizing those sort of issues. 
how do you how do you handle stuff like that from a branding perspective? Yeah, I think that's a it's it's an interesting challenge. I think that um, when when you're thinking about branding in the pharmaceutical and health space, um, I think the best of it, the best of the marketing, uh, does exactly what uh, what Viagra did. And and again, they were one of the one of the first uh, that were were had a brand and were marketed. Uh, Certainly, they're marketed to healthcare professionals, but with an awareness from a consumer perspective, right? That you saw those were the first sort of some of the advertising that we would see. And I think that what was really fascinating about what they did, and I think that this also continues to be the case sometimes, but is is exactly what you were talking about, which is not only were they talking about the drug that they they had, um, but the condition um, and a condition that at the time was you know, not, not that everybody's talking about all the time now, um, but not something that people talked about at all. And, and also that, that people who suffered from it were, were afraid to, to talk about it. There was a lot of shame involved and, and a lot of um, misunderstanding about what might cause it. And so this notion, it really opened a dialogue, not just because there was uh, a treatment for what then became referred to as uh, ED, uh, before that was called impotence, which also sounds, you know, just terrible. And, and for obviously- oh, so I, didn't, I didn't realize they even changed the language of it. They did. They changed it to erectile dysfunction, right? So, so changing it from something that is sort of almost like a judgment, right? You're impotent to something that is a condition that is tr- that is treatable. And so I think that that, um, you know, the really fascinating thing working on that was the initial interviews with with uh, potential customers and potential patients. We talked to um, people who uh, suffered, uh, and then also their their partners. And it was just the the talk about humanizing something really sort of some of once you get people talking it's something that people have a lot to say about but also just all of the the, everything that surrounds that right what it means for relationships what it means for somebody's sense of themselves and so it was really actually profound to think about how how the marketing that that Viagra did obviously was was good for Viagra and and for the the brand um, but also really helped start a dialogue uh, for people and also let them know that there was something there uh, to, to help. I know, you know, obviously the, the pharmaceutical industry um, has some reputational issues and, 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 and some, you know, there, there are some concerns and some, some pockets about um, marketing uh, directly to people and patients, but. Well, I think, I think HBO just ran a four hour documentary about the opioid crisis and, and marketing that so I'm, I'm about halfway through that. So I think there's a couple issues with it. Yeah, you know. I, that's definitely, definitely fair. I think that, you know, I, I think part of, part of the reason there is, again, there are always, there are always companies and, and corporations that are not doing what they should be doing, right? Whether it's, but I think also part of it is that it is so closely tied to to our health and literally life and death, right? So higher holding and, and rightly so holding those companies to a, a higher standard, I think is is part of it. I think also the, you know, sometimes we think about it and for, for some reason, again, maybe it's the life and death part of it. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that, that in some ways, uh, you know, tech companies get more credit for being human or for improving our lives than sometimes pharmaceutical companies do. Um, and I think that, um, you know, during, during this pandemic, especially, and as we, you know, now with the vaccination and with, I think that, that pharmaceutical companies have have an opportunity and are definitely seizing it to to demonstrate really the the value that they can provide in our lives and do and and sometimes 
uh, sometimes don't get credit for. So I think that 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 it it you know it's it's helping them with a bit of a reset, both in terms of how they do business, but also in terms of um, maybe how people perceive some of the really amazing work and science that that is behind uh, many of these brands. Yeah, and and you mentioned off air too, and and we were just talking about Pfizer. When we talk about these vaccines, we're actually just using the straight up like, which vaccine did you get? This is the only time I've ever known what, because I've I've been vaccinated. I mean, I was vaccinated as a kid when I was in kindergarten. I've had you know, you get a tetanus shot. I don't know what brand it was. Right. <laughs> I just had a tetanus shot last year, and and I don't know who made it. I don't even know if they told me. I don't even know if it's on the paperwork. But now all of a sudden, it's like. Is that is that the companies doing the branding, the push? Is that why I know who makes it, or is it, or is there another reason? I, I think it's interesting. It's sort of back to the the comment making earlier about Procter and Gamble, and I think that uh, the pharmaceutical industry is in in some ways where the the CPG industry was many years ago. Sure. Um, I think the focus has been for many of the pharmaceutical companies, and I think also maybe some of the reputational issues is that they they have focused on the brands for the, the their brands, right? The, the drugs and the, and the devices that they put out. Um, and they've sort of taken a backseat to that, right? That wasn't necessarily that, that that's what was put forward. Part of that is because there's so much in terms of trials, in terms of what, you know, they do so much R&D, uh, what, what drugs are actually going to move forward. Uh, if there are any concerns or issues with them, it was sort of to keep the, the, the drug brands and the pharmaceutical brands, the parent company sort of separate. But I think that, that what we're seeing now is, is, and not just in the pharmaceutical industry, but really the importance of who's behind these brands, right? And, and seeing those the pharmaceutical companies as having the potential to be the, the stamp of, of quality, right? And, and to hold themselves to a higher standard. And so I think that that was part of, uh, with the vaccines, um, less of focus on the specific brands of vaccination and saying, okay, here, we're delivering something for, you know, that's gonna contribute majorly to, to public health. And so we don't need a brand for that. I think they are branded. I think most of us don't know what they are. So I don't even- sure. But, but in terms of, okay, in a, in a time when it's something completely new, in a time when people are very nervous, right, either getting it or getting the vaccination or getting the, um, I think that there is a real role for the corporate brands to play uh, in terms of giving people some, uh, you know, some comfort in terms of uh, the science behind it, the rigor behind it, and that, that ultimately somebody is there and accountable. And so I think that Again, I think this is happening in a lot of industries as we think about issues like DEI and sustainability and a lot of things that, that people want to know what's the brand, what's the company behind these brands and, and, uh, and that being really clear. And so I think that that's what uh, we're, seeing, we're, we're seeing right now is, is those brands, the corporate brands uh, stepping forward and, and making themselves a little bit more uh, visible. Yeah, and I'll be interested in like, let's say five years from now, if, if, if we do have to get booster shots or anything like that, or, or I, you know, if these, these are shots going forward, if, if they'll leave, if the brands will still, if they'll even tell you, or if it'll just become like everything else. So oh, here's your shot. You know, like, I don't know who made the flu shot I just had last year either. Like, it'll just be that. Oh, here's your, here's your COVID shot. It might even be with the flu shot. Who knows? You know what I think is why I totally, yeah. And I, I, it will be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I think what's funny we're not funny, but what's happening right now is, is it's sort of become like 
a badge of honor, almost not a lifestyle brand. That would be crazy to say, but um, like you know, oh, what which which vaccination did you get? Yeah, it's telling me like, oh, the hot people vaccination is it was in like New York Magazine is Pfizer, and like and the you know for the party people it's J and J because they just want one and done and they want to go out. So it's just interesting. It you know that isn't actually tied to the science, isn't actually tied to uh, efficacy, but it's interesting how people start to uh, embrace brands and and give them again this is what we we're talking about earlier give them attributes that may have nothing to do with what was intended but the uh, better the better part of that is not only do they get these attributes attended to them that you're talking about but up until recently which means nobody that i know you didn't even get to choose yeah so it's not like it's not like you got to choose to be a party person they told you you're a party person now right. you're an up-and-comer now you know, you're like, oh, all right. Why is that? I don't, because. <laughs> Where I was when they. <laughs> yeah. We just, we just drew your name out of a hat and now you're a party person. So. All right. We're going to be right back. One more section with, uh, with Christina Falzano. All right, Christina, before we go, we got to ask. We was asking, like, what do you, what do you say if, if somebody's new to this profession? Got any advice? In terms of if you've already made a decision to be in uh, marketing or branding and design, um, I would say that always look for opportunities to do something new. And I don't mean new jobs, but once you're in a job, anytime you see a project that you think is cool or a project that actually is the thing that you've never done before, and, and maybe your initial reaction is to shy away from it, either because it's gonna to be too much work or because you feel like you're gonna be over your skis, my recommendation would be to, to jump in, especially starting out. I think the more, more things you can try, do and be a part of, uh, it, it really is a force amplifier and, and something that you get to experience early on in your career. It's, it's amazing how many echoes there are as, as your career progresses and, and how you're able to apply that. So again, especially for people who are just starting out, um, you know, be as open, open as possible and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think especially being in creative industry, that's just also good, uh, a good way to <laughs> make it enjoyable, but also learn a lot. I would, I mean, I fully agree because you'll, you, every now and then you get a project where you're like, oh, we've done this before. Yeah. But, but if that's all you did, then you'll never do anything else. But every, and I mean, almost every project you get in this profession, there's some part of it you've never done before. It's just a matter of how much of it you've never done before. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. I think that, you know, my, my initially what I was talking about, you know, is, is looking for those new opportunities. But I think the flip side is also true, which is a lot of the projects that we do do on paper seem like, are we doing, we already did this project, right? <laughs> um, but I think that being open, even in those situations, because I think part of the great part of being part of an agency or creative, you know, business is that, that every day can, can be different and, and you learn something new every day. And so, yeah, you may have done it before for another client, but maybe it's not in this space, or maybe you did it you know, for a client that was larger or smaller, or, um, you know, there, there are just lots of, and so finding those things that are unique and those things that you can really learn, I think is also really good. So even if it seems like you've done it before is finding, finding the thing that sparks and, and, and makes it interesting. 
what was what was what's the last project you did that had that spark that you're like i really want to work on this or the last project you did you could actually talk about that had that so we work a lot with uh with VetScan, which is part of uh, zoetis which is a animal health uh, provider and it, you know it's amazing to see uh we, we worked on a project with uh one of the cattle groups, uh, and uh, it was it was about uh, genetic testing, and so it was like you know I ne I never thought I cared about that I never thought I and it was actually uh, you know fascinating to really understand uh, not only the science but also you know to understand more about these industries and and you know what what are farmers thinking about and dealing with. And so, uh, you know, again, there's always an opportunity uh, to, to learn something new. So I think that's an example of the, the you know, sort of the category being something that, that I'm not familiar right. with um, and, and just, you know, just absorbing all of that and finding it, you know, endlessly fascinating. You know, sometimes for another client, we're doing a digital therapy. So we do a lot of obviously a lot of uh, branding for, for drugs, pharmaceuticals, but, but now thinking about um, more sort of tech in, in uh, pharma is also, I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of experience in my past working with tech companies. Um, so being able to sort of put those two things together, that's like where you also don't know where things are going to come up sure. uh, is also, you know, is, is an example of uh, sort of this convergence and, and learning, learning something new, doing something new, being able to think about something in a different way, which has really been a lot of fun. Yeah. And not only was I assuming that the industry was different, was, was, was it also fun to like, cause you also have to learn about a different audience, I assume for some of these projects. Yeah. Well, our stakeholder interviews, which we always do, you know, this is the, this is the first time we're talking to, uh, you know, dairy farmers. So sure. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to get to get to talk to people and, and understand more about their worlds and, and how they, they, you know, what they do. So that was awesome. Yeah. And with design, I think one of the best things is you get to learn a little bit about everything. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, well, well, if people want to go learn more about Conran design group, where, where do you send them? Uh, so we have a website, which is uh, www.conrandesigngroup.com. Uh, and then we're getting ready to launch a slash New York page, which will give more specific information about our group in New York. But again, uh, if you go to uh, just our, our global website, uh, you can find out a lot about us. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time and uh, be in touch. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Really nice meeting. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Beery is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dustlab.